Hopefully this has become a very familiar passage to us over the last few weeks. So in John, the 15th chapter, we're going to read the first 11 verses. And keep in mind, just, just let me say, just as a reminder, we, we know the time frame of this. This is right after that Jesus and the eleven have left the upper room and they're on their way to Gethsemane. And we know it's not the twelve because we know what happened in the upper room. That Judas left. He, he appeared to be among them, but he wasn't truly one of them. And he left to betray Christ into the hands of the chief priests and scribes. And so, if you can picture it, we, we, we know that, they, they, that Judas left by night. And so, we know that this has happened in the evening or in the early nighttime. That as they're walking, and in my mind, I always say, I, I can imagine, because of all the different vineyards that were there in that land, that perhaps it was at one of those moments when they were on a path, either going through a vineyard or a vineyard was close by, I can almost picture Jesus reaching out to a vine and saying these very things. Let's read. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Your Word. And, and Lord, in particular, this passage, passage from Christ. So Lord, help us to learn. Help, help us to learn more of, of Christ and more of who we are as branches abiding in the true vine. So help us, Lord, I pray, in Christ's name, amen. Now, as as I've pointed out probably several times in this uh, 
series on joy, I guess that's what we'll call this, because that's, that's been the root of this, and that when we got to John 15, the analogy of Jesus is quite simple, isn't it? There is a vine, Jesus. There is a vine dresser, God the Father. And there are two kinds of branches. Branches that bear fruit and are pruned so that they will bear more fruit. And then there are branches that don't bear fruit. That there's no life in them. And ultimately, they are cut off and thrown into the fire. And I think the the picture of this is very clear, is it not? And as I've pointed out, in in different situations, and in here, since we're talking about a living branch and a dead branch, everybody on the face of this planet is one of the two. You're either a living branch attached to the true living vine and drawing strength and nourishment from Him, or you are separated from Him, and you will ultimately be thrown into the fire, the lake of fire. I believe it's very clear. And so this is about distinguishing, I believe I've called it a Judas branch from a true branch. A false disciple from a true disciple. A false Christian from a true Christian. It is speaking of genuine salvation. And is there anything more important than that? Is there anything more important than knowing that you are saved? Is there anything more important than the song we sang, Knowing You, Jesus, Knowing You? There is no greater thing we sang. And it's so true. Nothing is more important than to know that you are saved. To know that you are a true branch, firmly, securely, eternally attached to the true vine. Jesus Christ. So only two types of branches. The fruitful Branches, true believers like the eleven who remained with Jesus, and fruitless branches like Judas, who didn't abide, who didn't remain, but who left. So, for the true believers, the true branches, we get our source of strength, our sustenance, everything we need from the vine. Jesus Christ. He supplies everything to the branches. Let's look at John 15, verses 4 and 5. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. See, if there's any fruit on a, on a, on a dead branch, it's just an ornament, isn't it? It's just fake. And there's a lot of fake ornaments on some... It, it, it's like having a, like a Christmas tree an aluminum Christmas tree, and then hanging stuff on it. And it's dead. There's no life there. And the ornaments are not real fruit. And so a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So do I remember that? Do we as children of God remember? We can't do anything 
anything of any real spiritual and heavenly consequence without the Lord. Life-giving flow comes from the vine to the branches. Without this nourishment from the vine, the branch can bear nothing, can do nothing. The branch will be dead and ultimately thrown into the fire. And so today... This will probably be our last sermon on this, I think. And, and today, so I want to focus on what the vine dresser does to the fruit-bearing branches. What does he do? You tell me. He prunes them. He prunes them. Well, well what's that mean? What's that look like? You know, we, we live in an area, part of Missouri, which if you go in particular over around St. Genevieve, you can see vineyards. And, and that's one of the areas that, that we go on little drives. And, and depending on the time of year, when you go by those vineyards, they may be all leafed out. You may see big old clusters of, of grapes on there. And then maybe in the fall or the winter, I don't know exactly when, when they do the pruning, but you go by and it looks like a stick. And, and that's all there is because they've pruned everything back why do they do that so that it will bear more fruit the next year and as i was thinking about this and the analogy of all this for me i learned pruning as a little boy from my mother because because my mom was great with flowers and plants everybody would come and brag about mom and her flowers and and mom would come and or the people would come and she would give them clippings and and tell them what to do to make them grow and to transplant and all these things and, and i can remember because as a little boy it didn't make sense and you know to prune something and and besides that it made work for me because i was the little kid and she would trim all the stuff, and I would be the one to have to pick it up and go put it in the burn pile. So this all speaks to what I learned as a little boy. All the dead stuff, all the unuseful stuff gets cut off, and I would carry it to the burn pile. And then Dad would take care of it later. And I'd say, well, Mom, why, why, are you, why are you cutting off all these pretty long limbs and, and, and cutting these back? It's got a little flower on it. Why are you cutting it back? And she would explain to me, well, son, we, we got to cut it back and then, then the plant will grow healthier and it'll be bushier and, and, and ultimately it'll have more flowers on it. And she would do it to her, her vegetables in the garden, to the tomato plants in particular, I remember, cutting back. And she taught me the lesson of pruning. Now, if God is the vine dresser and He is pruning the fruit-bearing branches that they will bear more fruit, what exactly is He pruning away? And what is the means in which He prunes the branch? I'll take a few seconds just think about that. What's He pruning away? And how's He going to do it? Because from what I read, this is going to happen to the fruit-bearing branches. They're going to be pruned. And so we should not be surprised when this happens. And so what is it? And, and, and what is it? The, the vine dresser comes to the fruitful branches and he prunes them. He purges them. In fact, that's the word used if you have a, a King James Version. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, 
that it may bring forth more fruit. So what is he cutting away? I believe that he is cutting away sin. And I believe that perhaps he's cutting away other things that are not necessarily sin, but that are useless things. Things that are hindering us from bearing more fruit for him. Did did, did that come across? He is cutting away sin and also perhaps cutting away things that are not necessarily sin or sinful, but that are useless things, things that are hindering us from bearing more fruit for Him. And, And I take that from, let's go to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So what's it say? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So so I take it that the weight mentioned here is not necessarily sin, but rather things that we have added to our lives that are hindering us, that are weighing us down, slowing us down in our Christian race, this life that we are living. These are things that perhaps are perfectly innocent and perhaps harmless of themselves, but They may be weighing us down. They are perhaps diverting our attention away from the things that are of most importance and should be a first priority in our lives. Now these are things that are thinking things, aren't they? Hmm. See, these things, these weights, perhaps are sapping our energy We're putting our energies toward these other things, and again, that perhaps are not sinful, but they are taking our time, they're taking our energies, you see? That could be used elsewhere. And someone may ask me, well, is there anything wrong or sinful about me doing this, this activity or this thing? And the answer may be that there is nothing wrong in itself, but... The problem is not in what the weight is, but in what this particular weight may be doing in our lives. Does that make sense? There may be nothing wrong with it, but the problem is not in what the weight is, but in what this particular weight may be doing in our own personal lives. Perhaps it is keeping us from running our race well, this is a personal matter. I said this is a thinking thing. Each individual must take personal inventory. I can't tell you what things. This is a matter of prayer for the individual to be led by the Spirit. You see, God is the vine dresser, and He may of His providence and of His great power cause something to happen to prune away things by His great power. Or He may, by the truth of His Word and the power of the Spirit, 
Speak to your heart in regard to the priorities of your life. So that you will be convicted of some things that need to be let go and put aside. Things that may be hindering you, hindering me. Uh, What weights are there in my life or in our lives that are diverting our eyes, our gaze from Jesus? We didn't sing it today, and, and, and Stephanie brought this hymn to us uh, several years ago now, Nothing Between, that, that, that we would not let anything become between us and the Lord. Because if something comes in between, what does it become for us? An idol. An idol. So let nothing come between us and the Lord. Let nothing take our gaze away from him. So let's go back into Hebrews 12. We already read verse 1, but let's put verse 1 and 2 together. Let's complete the thought. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. God is the vine dresser, and He is pruning the fruit-bearing branches so that they may bear more fruit, much fruit. I want to read a quote from John MacArthur. Listen. We all have sin in our lives. It ought to be cut off. But we also have stuff that doesn't necessarily get categorized as sin. It's just unnecessary, wasted, superfluous. Sucker branches. The Father comes along in our lives with a knife. It's painful, and He cuts. He cuts sin. He cuts useless, wasteful behavior, preoccupation with things that don't matter. How does He do that? He might do it through sickness. He might do it through hardship. He might do it through the loss of a job or loss of a friend, loss of a loved one, loss of material goods. He might do it through the loss of reputation, through slander. He might do it through the failure of something you worked really hard to pull off. He might do it through persecution from people outside. He might do it through people on the inside, people you know and love. He might do it through grief. He might do it through disappointment. It might be extremely painful emotionally. It might be extremely painful physically. God allows trouble. This is God providentially using the knife. God uses troubles and trials in our lives to prune us that we might bear more fruit, much fruit for Him. The best thing that can happen to us to prune us is trouble and trials, end quote. The best thing that can happen to us is trouble and trials. What do you think of that? 
See, see, this takes me back to the first sermon, Count It All Joy, back about mid-July. Now we're going to drop down to James 1, verses 2 through 4. Remember, who, who's the vine dresser? God. And He's cutting, pruning, cutting away. Why? That we might bear more fruit. So, does that make, does all, keeping all that in, in, into, into mind of what James said back in James 1, verses 2 through 4. Now, you still with me? Say amen. Say amen. Now, you may get, you may get thinking, because I said this is a thinking thing. Well, stay with me. Stay with me. James 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Are, are these trials a way, a means by which God, the vine dresser, prunes us? Yes. Yes. And so, there's your reason to count it all joy. Is it not? God is at work. He's at work. He's at work. Peter. Peter would say the same thing. First Peter. Uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grieved by various trials, so that we might, if I could say it this way, bear more fruit. Though it is tested by fire. Now, as a born-again believer, a true living branch grafted into the true vine, we know that we may be tested by fire, but we will never be thrown into the fire with the dead branches. Amen? We will never be thrown in with the dead branches because as true believers, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. As true living branches grafted into a vine of Jesus Christ, what can snatch us out of the Father's hand? Nothing. We have been granted eternal life with Christ and nothing can separate us from the true vine. We will never be thrown into the fire with the dead branches, but we will go through periods of fiery trials. Peter talked about various trials in chapter 1. Let, let's go to chapter 4 in 1 Peter, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to the elect of God. He's talking to the children of God. He's talking to true branches here. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. 
See, we can rejoice even in the midst of a fiery trial because we know that God is working a work in us. That He is refining us. He is pruning us so that we might bear more fruit. Isaiah 48, verse 10. Isaiah 48, verse 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And I believe this happens yet today. That the 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 fiery trials that we go through, that He tests us through trials, and we are tested sometimes in a furnace of affliction. God has a purpose for the trials, for the affliction, for the tribulations that we go through. Romans 8, 28, you know it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. The pruning that the vine dresser that God does in our life is for our good and His glory. For our good and His glory. And do we, do I remember that when I'm going through the trial, when I'm going through the furnace of affliction, do I remember that? Do you? Do I remember that when God is doing the work of pruning me? Do I remember that He is only doing a good work? And that all things work together for good. Do I remember that? Or, perhaps you're like me, and you've had those times in in the trial or in the furnace of affliction, you grumble, you complain, you whine. Lord, how can this be happening to me? I, I was there just a couple months ago when this knee was giving me fits and my back went out on me. That was me. But God... I was doing so good. Why? Why? Do you see what I'm saying? And perhaps we wallow in self-pity. Lord, why me? Why is this happening to me? Maybe we're in pity. Maybe we're in anxiety. Maybe we're in worry. Maybe we're in fear. When we should be counting it all joy. How? How can we do that? Are you beginning to see we can do it because we know the Lord is doing a work in us. Because we know that He is the vine dresser. Because we know that He is the one who will prune us. And this is the means by which He prunes us. And because we know that He is doing a work in us, we count it joy. You see that? See, we, we should be looking to the Lord and saying, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for counting me worthy to, to suffer for your sake. Thank you for working on me that I might bear more fruit. See, see, my prayer in the midst of this, this whole little series that, that we've gone through is that we would learn more of the truth of what God's Word says in light of knowing who we are as born-again believers, that we will mature in our faith to the degree that when a trial does come into our lives, we will see it not as an enemy, but as a friend. Does that ring a bell to anybody? The first sermon I preached back in mid-July, I quoted from J.B. Phillips' translation uh, from James, where it says this, and I'll just read it. Uh, We don't have that translation there. I didn't put it in there, but just listen. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, 
Don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. This is why James says, count it all joy. And Peter says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. God the vine dresser will prune the living fruit bearing branches. He will. And so don't think it's strange when it happens. Can we get a grip on that? Can I get a grip on that? It's a part of His work in us. And sometimes, perhaps, this pruning, we said it can come through trials and tribulations, perhaps it will come in outright discipline in our lives because of sin and disobedience. Let's go to Hebrews 12 again. Let's drop down. We're going to read verse 5 through 11. 5 through 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. Now, as we're reading this, keep in mind everything we've talked about so far. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Let me pause there for a minute. Could I also put it this way? For whom the Lord loves, He prunes. You see? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. We'll stop there for a minute. If you are never pruned, if you never go through chastening of the Lord, What's that an indication of by what we just read? That you are not His. That's what that's saying. Well, there's something to think about, huh? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He, but the Lord, for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward... It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that great? Well, it may not be great, sound so great when you're one going through the trial. But, but you see, I believe the Lord is, is teaching us to not just come unglued when we're going through a trial. That we will trust the Lord that He is doing a work in us and all, it, it, it may be, 
no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but it's painful. But, but may we look beyond the pain to what the work is going to accomplish in our life that we might bear more fruit. The peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And, and let me just say this. If we don't learn the lesson the first time, there's a pretty good chance you're going to go through another very similar trial until you have been trained by it. More fruit. More righteousness is the product of divine discipline. Trials, tribulation, and trouble. Listen, a a true believer is to expect this if they are to be fruitful. Expect it. Don't think it's strange. Do you understand why Peter says that now? Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial because they are coming for a purpose in your life. God is doing the work. The vine dresser is pruning and cutting away. And so what we should do as best we can in the midst of it until we get to the end of it as best we can, be thankful and trust Him that He is doing a good work. And that we, when we come through the other side, we will have been trained by it and we will be able to bear more fruit for Him. And that should be the desire of every true born-again child of God. I want to go back to John MacArthur and read, read uh, some more. Quote, The vine dresser has a knife. What precisely is that knife? The knife is the Word of God. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let me keep going, quoting John. The Word, the truth of God, is a two-edged knife that cuts in every direction. The Father is the discipliner. The Father is the one who in His providence brings about the trial and the troubles. The Word becomes the actual cutting instrument because when the trial comes and we react wrongly, the Word convicts us. Because when the trial comes and we react wrongly for the true believer, the true child of God, the true living branch, the Word will convict us. The Word cuts into our disrespect for God's purposes. Yeah, I'm going to let that sit there for just a little bit because as I thought about that, that really hit me. The Word cuts into our disrespect for God's purposes. That's, that's great. This is me. When God is doing a work in us, through some form of pruning, and all we do is gripe and crumble into a ball of self-pity. Think of what we are doing. We are disrespecting the work of God that He's doing in our lives. Do you see that? I thought that was so good. Because when we... I'm going to go back to John. Because when the trial comes and we react wrongly, the Word convicts us. 
the Word cuts into our disrespect for God's purposes. The Word cuts into our hostility. The Word cuts into our anger. The Word cuts into our questioning and it indicts us. Trials are the handle of the knife. The blade is the Word of God. The Father brings the trial and the blade is the Word of God. The Word is the knife. Listen to how Spurgeon explains this. And this is John MacArthur quoting Spurgeon. It is the Word that prunes the Christian. It is the truth that purges him. The Scripture made living and powerful by the Holy Spirit eventually and effectively cleanses the Christian. Affliction is the handle of the knife. Affliction is the grindstone that sharpens the knife. But the knife is the Word. Affliction is the dresser is the dresser that removes our soft garments and lays bare the diseased flesh so that the knife may get at it. End Spurgeon's quote. Does it get more graphic than that? The knife lays us bare to prune out that, Spurgeon says, which is diseased, causing us Pain. Now, back to John, John MacArthur. Affliction makes us ready for the knife, to feel the Word of God. The true pruner is God. Affliction is the handle and the occasion. But the pruning, the Scripture, is the knife that cuts. Why? so that we would bear more fruit. The more you know the Word, the more you love the Word, the better you react to trials. Right? End quote. See, there it is. And that's where I'm hoping that we will all get to. See, and I can't get you there, but but I can can preach sermons that, that will point out this is beneficial. This is what the Word says. Because that, that's a great line right there. The more you know the Word, the more you love the Word, the better you react to trials. And that's the truth. And that's the truth. Because realize, child of God, realize who you are. A branch plugged into the vine, grafted into the vine, the very life of Christ, the power of Christ surging through you. Think about that. That that you will bear fruit for Him. That you will grow together with Him. You get all your strength from Him. You're filled with His life, His energy. He produces fruit through you. And what a wonderful thought. The more we know the Word of God, the better we will react to trials, the better we will react to the pruning of the vine dresser. Because it will happen. It will come. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And so be prepared. Don't think it's strange when it comes. Don't think it an enemy, think of it as a friend. That's coming to help you to prune away that which shouldn't remain.
And as true living fruit-bearing branches, we are to abide in Him. We are to stay. We are to remain. Don't be as a Judas and walk away. Because if you do, you're just bearing evidence of the fact that you are never His. May we walk with Him. May we remain rooted in Him. Grafted in. Rooted. Bound to Him. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. And established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So, so, so listen. To abide, we need day by day time with the Lord. If we are to live through Christ, if we are to bear fruit, the source of that fruit comes through the vine to the branches. Got to understand that. So we need to be going to the source of our strength, the source of our nourishment. We must If I could put it this way, we must feed on Jesus. And I want to end with another quote. And this one is from Andrew Murray. And it's an exhortation and a prayer. And I thought this was so good. There's so many things that there's no way I can say it better than some of these other men of God. And that's why I quote from, from these things from time to time. And so from Andrew Murray, quote, It takes time to grow into Jesus the vine. Now I'm going to pause there for a minute. Yes, at the moment of our salvation, of our regeneration, we are grafted in and nothing can separate us from that. But it takes time though to grow in the Lord. That's that's sanctification. So, So back to Murray. It takes time to grow into Jesus the vine. Do not expect to abide in Him unless you will give Him that time. We all need day-by-day time with Jesus. We all know the need of time for our meals each day. Every workman claims his lunchtime so that he may have strength for the afternoon's labor. True, isn't it? If we are to live through Jesus, we must feed on Him. John 6, verse 57. John 6, verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Do we need to feed on Jesus? (laughs) Yes. Yes, He has told us so in His Word. We must, uh, back to Murray, we must feed on Him. We must thoroughly take in and assimilate that heavenly food the Father has given us in His life. Therefore, my brethren, take time each day to read His Word, to put yourself into a living contact with the living Jesus. Let us day by day set ourselves at His feet and meditate on His this Word of His with an eye fixed on Him alone. Let us set ourselves in quiet trust before Him, waiting to hear His, His holy voice the still, small voice that is mightier than the storm that rends the rocks, breathing its quickening spirit within us as He speaks, Abide in Me, 
May you yield yourselves distinctly and consciously to His blessed influence, so will you abide in Him. May you enjoy the full experience of the blessedness of abiding in Christ. May the grace of Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be your daily portion. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. And I thank You for the consistency throughout Your Word of the same message that comes to us over and over and over again from different writers because they were all inspired by the Holy Spirit from You. So Father, help us to learn. Help me to learn. Help me to know that Your pruning will come to me and help me to receive it as I should. Help us all, Father, to react as we should to the pruning, to the trials, to those things that You allow into our lives to mold us and make us more into the likeness of Christ, to, to, to help us that we might bear more fruit for You. And Father, perhaps above all, if, if there should be someone that would be listening to this sermon and they are yet an unfruitful branch. That they are separated from Christ. There is no Spirit of Christ in them. Oh, Father, I pray that by Your Spirit and by the truth of Your Word, that You would reveal truth to them. That You would shine light into a dark place. That You would bring to life that which was dead. Give them life spiritual life. Open their eyes to see You and Your holiness. Open their eyes that they might see their sin before Most Holy God. And Lord, grant them faith to believe in the message of the cross. Grant them faith that, that they may believe and repent of their sins and turn and follow Christ, Lord, and to rejoice in knowing that they have been grafted in then to the true vine, Jesus Christ. So Father, help us all to rejoice with joy unspeakable, joy unexpressible, even in those times when the fiery trial comes. Help us to not think it strange. Help us to count it all joy because we know, Father, that You are doing a work in us. Let us not despise the work You are doing. Let me not despise the work that You, you will do in my life, Lord. Let me not think of the trial that's coming as an enemy, but let me see it as a friend because You have counted me worthy to suffer for You that I might bear more fruit. So teach us, Father. Teach us. Help us to be trained by every trial and every situation of life that may come our way. And Lord, help us that we may bear more fruit, much fruit for You. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.